Tell us your name. David Lassiter. Uh, where are you from? I'm from all over the place. Well, I like to think that I'm all from all over the place because I went to a bunch of different schools, but really I've only lived in like three major places, Canada, Arizona, and Utah. So I like to say that I'm from Gilbert, Arizona, but I've spent time in both Orem and Provo, and my parents now live in North Salt Lake, Utah. So that's where I go when I have no place to live. What are you doing now? I'm going to school at BYU. I'm a senior, but that's only credit-wise, and I may end up sticking around there for a long, long time. Sticking around BYU? Yeah, for just a, another year or two. Doing what? Um, I'm majoring in English, and I may ha end up with a second major in philosophy, or I may just spend the rest of my time doing prerequisites for a master's in economics. Sounds then, like you want to have more fun. It's really not what it's about, <laughs> actually. Well, I mean, fun in the sense that I enjoy studying, but not fun in the sense that it's parties and <laughs> just kidding. and playing pinball. So if you had to describe what type of Mormon you are, um, even if you wanted to categorize yourself in some way, what would you say? I'm a good one. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I couldn't, I don't know all the, I don't know all the classifications, all the modifications and qualifiers for different kinds of Mormons. What are there? Do you see yourself as just normal mainstream run of the mill Mormon for your age? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty mainstream. I think some, maybe some of the things that I believe aren't, aren't as quite as orthodox. Um, but I think that's because I've thought through things pretty hard and there are some things that I just don't see as good explanations for scriptures or just doctrines in general that we believe. So in what ways are you unorthodox? Um, Give us some examples. Oh, well, uh, for the last, like one of the things that I'm, one of the things that I really love studying is the atonement. And that's, I've tried to understand it for a long time. It's been one of the most frustrating things for me. And, I, you know, you read talks like Bruce R. McConkie's talk about the, the fall and, or the creation, the fall and the atonement. I think it's called like Three Pillars of Salvation or I don't, something like that. Anyway, the, the, the notion is that without creation or a fall, there is no need for an atonement. And so studying all of those events, including, and also like the judgment and resurrection and mortal life in general, and also major fundamental principles of the gospel, you know, the first principles and ordinances, faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, things like that. Studying all those things together, I think, is uh, really influenced the way that I view the atonement. It was really frustrating for me to try and get an understanding, especially of the fall. The fall has always been a, a big puzzle to me, but I feel like as I've studied the atonement more, it's, and just kind of trying to take a very analytical look at it and break it down into pieces and say, what's, what are the problems? What, first of all, what is, what's God's ultimate end for, what aim for us? What's, our, what's his goal for us? And then, um, what is, what are the problems that arise in trying to get us there? And, um, and, and also I've kind of taken into a synthesis of all this. Sorry, I'm giving like a really big background here to, to get to the unorthodox parts. But it's kind of, I feel like I have to put it in context and other, otherwise it kind of sounds uh, goofy. Uh, to, the long and short of it is that I, I believe in a, in a sort of a reincarnation, or at least the possibility of a reincarnation, not in the, not in the Hindu sense or the, or the Buddhist sense, but just uh, the, the notion that somebody can, can die and receive uh, or, and be resurrected 
and enter uh, the celestial kingdom and then be incapable of, of dying anymore. In other words, if, even if they wanted to die, even if they broke the laws that govern immortality, um, they couldn't separate body and spirit. That doesn't make sense to me, that, that, that that's not possible. So in my mind, as long as you're abiding within the conditions of immortality, you will be immortal. But once you step outside those con conditions, you are subject to mortality. And that goes along with the concept of, of laws that govern things always. And so, it, anyway, back to how it connects with the atonement, and that is that um, I believe that Jesus Christ was God in the fullest sense before he came, before he came to earth. That is not to say that I don't believe in a... In, I don't believe that Jesus Christ had a father. In other words, like a God the Father, or that I don't believe that there are three personages, a presency of gods or something over the earth, like a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I, I do believe in those things. But what I'm saying is my my notion of the atonement requires that, or not, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't really require, but it seems, it makes the most sense to me to say that um, Jesus Christ was God in the full sense. He had a, he had a glorified celestial um uh, physical body before he came to earth and then he put that body off and that was part of his great condescension uh, and he came to earth to teach us uh, the laws that, that govern uh, eternal life and what we need to do to have an eternal happiness and to return and to the presence of God and to dwell in the celestial kingdom in Zion um, as part of a community. So is this different from the notion of, um, of Jesus once being a man like us or God once being a man like us? Are you saying, did, did, what about that theory that, that God once was a man? Does that mean Jesus had immortality before he became God and then he became man again? I, I think it's I think it's very, I, I, I pulled open that possibility. I think it's a strong possibility and it makes sense to me to say that in, in the, um, especially in connection with the fall, and I have to kind of go into these things, and that's, that's why it's kind of confusing sometimes when I don't present it in, as one grand picture, but... Um, yeah, it makes sense to me to say that, that God the Father uh, experienced some sort of mortality before he became a God, and that um, Jesus Christ, uh, probably the same thing, that he also experienced um, some, sort of, some form of mortality, some probationary period, whether the previous one was um, just the, uh, an, his first go at mortality or something, or whether it was you know several down the line, I don't know, but... And I don't think it's that important that I find out. It's not that crucial to my understanding of the atonement. But uh, it helps me understand that. It helps me say understand the condescension much better to say that he had a body and he was fully God and he came down, participated in, mor in mortality, and um, made a great sacrifice in in that. And that the, the atonement is not limited to uh, Gethsemane and Golgotha, but um, is. More expensive. More expansive, and includes everything that Christ has ever done in order to teach us both pre-mortally, um, part of the creation. The creation, I think, is part of the atonement because it, it tries to it tries to give us physical bodies, which is an addition of glory in and of itself. Uh, they're trying to, the, the gods try to endow us with glory, and the only way to do that is to follow some laws, and one of those laws is uh, being tabernacled or, or incorporated or uh, incarnated, whatever. And uh, it, that action in and of itself is part of the atonement. Um, the, the creation is part of the atonement, providing a place where we can learn to abide by the laws. 
to, to learn to walk by faith. I think that's part of the atonement. I think that uh, Christ's attempt to organize us according to a celestial pattern here on the earth uh, and calling apostles to, to spread the word and organize a church here and continually call prophets on the earth, I think is part of the atonement because he's trying to endow us once again with knowledge, which is part of glory, um, and trying to organize us according to that pattern. And that pattern, I think, involves um, us acquiring uh, what the scripture, what it's the term in the Book of Mormon, the bowels of mercy, which is uh, which is the desire that we have once our hearts are transformed by our knowledge of of the atonement, and once we acquire the Spirit, which uh, purifies us, the Holy Ghost, which comes upon us and and uh, is the baptism by fire and, and purifies our hearts and our desires, uh, we acquire the bowels of mercy, which is, is our desire to extend mercy toward others, to forgive them. And, and in that sense, the demand, the demands of justice, which we have for ourselves, and which we, which we demand, justice that we demand from others, um, those are overcome by our desire to extend mercy, which is brought about by our understanding of Christ's sacrifice and his condescension and his efforts to teach us and his willingness to go all the way in doing, in doing so. And, so, sorry. No, it's good. So this theology you developed, what have been your primary sources? Is this just your own thinking, or have you have you had um, uh, mentors, or have you done reading that has helped inform your thinking? I have. I feel like I've done a lot of reading. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't name anyone specifically other than uh, just the scriptures themselves and Joseph Smith. I think primarily, but lots of lots of conference talks, lots of. Um, what I've read just generally from apostles in church history um, has all contributed to it. I mean, an idea here or there. I remember one um, one visit that Elder Bednar actually made just after he was called as an apostle to our mission. He, I asked him a, I stood up and asked him a question about the atonement. I don't remember what the question was exactly, but his response was something like, uh, "The atonement uh, is." designed to prepare us for the day of judgment. And that, that doctrine is expressed in Mosiah 3, I think verse 10 or something like that, very clearly, but it had never been brought to my attention before that way. And, and I thought that was very helpful because it, it kind of shifted my perspective a little bit and said, um, there are these, there are, there is this time, the, the day of judgment, whatever it is, that we need to be prepared for. Something is gonna happen on that day, something very significant. and we need to learn things. There, there's something that Christ does that is helpful for us, and I think that's that's just one thing. Uh, but I think the uh, teaching of the Prophet Joseph Smith was one of my favorite books, and I, I read it twice on my mission, and I still, you know, pick it up and just flip through it uh, frequently. I, I really, really enjoy that. But also just the Book of Mormon, I think, in in, in general, and certain ideas from the Doctrine and Covenants and things that are expressed not, not necessarily in, in an argument form as like premises and to a conclusion in, in talks, but that are clear and, um, and the underlying foundational principle, what, 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 uh, what is behind what the words of some apostles and prophets sometimes mm -hmm. is, is very clear, the assumptions they make that, that under, undergird everything that they're saying. So do you, uh, what um, forums or... You know, how do you find people? It's clear that theology and doctrine are important to you. It's clear that you've probably done a little bit more thinking about this than maybe the average 
student your age or young person your age, do you have an association of friends or, or a group or some means to, to discuss these types of things? You know, I've just kind of had to, I've had to, uh, you know, piecemeal it all. I, I, I kind of had to take some from here, some from there. Uh, I talk to people when I can about different issues. Uh, my, my parents had, my dad especially has a, has a very extensive library uh, about church issues. And I've, I just kind of picked through that all growing up and some things I understood, some things I had no clue about. I like, why is this even an issue? Why are we even talking about this? Other things I was like, whoa, that's so interesting. <laughs> but um, also just talking to my friends. I mean, I have friends who I can literally talk to about anything. I have other friends who I who really can't talk about things and it, it really bothers them to even ask questions about to, to inquire further into something like faith, like to go beyond merely a scriptural definition, something in like Alma uh, 32, like faith is to hope for things which are not seen which are true. To, to try and go beyond a definition like that is a little too much for them, and they wouldn't they wouldn't enjoy doing it, and they wouldn't like it. Um, and understanding, try, attempting to go deeper into understanding things or asking questions, asking for reasons for things is is too much and for other people it's like I could I could uh, make wild accusations about the church and they just listen and say okay well let's examine that and let's see why that's true or why that's not true and we go through it rationally and just think hard about it and I, th I think doing all those things uh, in conjunction with frequent prayers um, has been part of my community but uh, I think magazines or like Dialogue, I had copies of Dialogue around all the time. I was never really that familiar with Sunstone, but I'd always heard about Sunstone. For some reason, it had a little bit of a stigma. But uh, when I when I read when I got a hold of articles from there, it was you know it just seemed quite normal to me, and I appreciated having a having some sort of vehicle for discussing those things, for transmitting that information to me. How does how what's your experience with religion classes at, at BYU? Uh, Religion classes are a little frustrating for me because I, f I feel in some way that they're, um, I'm going to say basic, but I don't, I don't mean basic in the sense that they discuss uh, foundational doctrines that are very important, like faith, repentance, baptism. I have no problem discussing those things. I love discussing those things. But I think that they, they talk about things in a very dogmatic way, and they uh, there is, le I would I would appreciate uh, more of a academic approach. I think to to literature at a university, excuse me, not to literature, of course, to literature. I mean to religion in um, at a university, just because I think there is a lot to be gained from that perspective that that we don't get in Sunday school, and for good reasons. I think there are, we we can't get at Sunday school, and there's there are modes of inquiry that are just not appropriate for some locations, but that I would love to have in other places. What do you mean by dogmatic? And give, give us an example or two if you can think of uh, uh, some experiences in a religion class that left you wanting. Um, I don't know. I think... Uh, man. Well, I think that anytime, anytime someone, well, the creation, I guess, is a good example, just because it's so, uh, such a hot button issue sometimes with people because it's so uh, 
bound up with science and uh, philosophy these days, where there's a lot of questions about evolution and about geologic history. And I guess, I mean, the age of the Earth has been a question around for a long time. I think uh, Elder Talmadge, James E. Talmadge, addressed it quite frequently um, because he was a geologist. But I, I think that any time in a, in a classroom setting where someone just says, just straight out, the Earth is 6,000 years old, I think is naive or ignorant or just irresponsible because it it sets up when it when it's said when it's repeated frequently like that and someone comes across a, something in a science textbook that says contrary something very very opposite of that uh, gives a figure like 4.5 billion years there is a significant discrepancy there and the person if, if uh, there's a negative view of science that's presented frequently in religion, uh, they'll end up saying, that's just, well, the, the, the book is wrong. It's obviously wrong. And What's wrong with that? I think that, I think that we, well, I think the, that the truths of religion and science should harmonize. Um, I don't necessarily think preference should be given and I also, I really, I genuinely believe, I don't think preference should necessarily be given to the science textbook. Um, I also think it's, one should actually go through and not just immediately discount things because they've had it beaten into their head over and over again that the Earth is 6,000 years old, or Earth is 6,000 years old, that they won't investigate it for themselves and look at the science behind it and say, is this actually a legitimate way of determining the age of the Earth? Can you actually use all these forms of, uh, dating that they that scientists claim are accurate and effective for determining the age of the Earth is this something that's reasonable for me to believe, and then to look at to look at the doctrine too and say is this actually a doctrine of the Church? Is this something that the Church actually teaches as truth? Um, and What's I your think, answer to that? I I say it's not. I I don't think it's it's not doctrine. I don't of the think church, it's a doctrine of the, the Church that, that the, the Earth is six thousand years old. No. No. So how do you reconcile your views with past statements from general authorities? Um, who, who did? I, I think that people love to have facts available to them that they can use to bolster people's faith. And that when they, when they hear someone describe in, in what seems to be a, a rational way, when they hear someone describe to them um, evidence for a particular view, like they say, well, God created the earth. And, and we know that the Bible is true. And the Bible shows, if you trace things back according to the chronology, then we, we see that the earth must be 6,000 years old because, well, Adam was this old and Noah was this old and all these prophets were this old. And we know that this, we, can, we can corroborate this historical date with some historical documents in the past. And they, they love to have the certainty to say, oh, so this must be true. But the doctrine of the church is not that the Bible is flawless. It never has been. It's and to say that the, the chronology that I that I am forced to believe that the chronology of the Bible is correct in determining the age of the earth. First of all, even if the chronology of the Bible is correct, there are other ways of explaining um, of explaining how the age four point five billion years can be reconciled with the the fact that Adam may have left the garden six years six thousand years ago. So, do you think there's life before the fall? Um, it's my opinion that yeah, there is, but I, I think 
but I, I don't think it's necessary for a person to believe that, and I don't think it's um, that the church requires somebody to believe that it's not true in order for you to have a testimony, in order for you to even to, to be saved or to continue sure. as a faithful member of the church, having how, the Holy Ghost with you. How do you square evolution with um, with your views on the church and the Bible and stuff, um, or, or have you? Well, I, I mean, I have in different. I think there are lots of different possibilities. I don't, I don't have one view that I hold to. I think that some are more likely than others. Um, I like the notion that there, that there were, um, that there were people, there were hominids before um, Adam, because I think it squares well with with fossil record. I don't think it's necessary that. Uh, Adam have come from an evolution. I think it's possible. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary that Adam was formed from the from the dust of the ground in the in the the mud mud pie clay figurine that some people set up as like some sort of straw man to to take down uh, people who are against uh, religion and think that it's that religion is very dangerous. I don't I don't think that's necessary. I think it's very possible that that Brigham Young's statement that that Adam and Eve uh, had a previous mortal existence and came and came to the earth and fell of their own accord and had children that way at some point in the evolution of the earth. Uh, I think that it's possible that at some point uh, human evolution had 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 reached had reached a certain point where God could uh, instruct. Adam and Eve, or whoever he chose, and teach them language and uh, preserve their for their lives for any period of time that he needed to. Um, I, I just think there are tons and tons of ways to reconcile. So you're open. You're yeah. open to all those possibilities. Mm -hmm. What about a global flood? Um, I I think that there are ways of interpreting that story as well in the Bible. I don't think it's necessary that that the Bible be viewed at, especially that account as literal. I think it's also possible that. Maybe we just don't flat out don't have the evidence for it, and we never will. But so, I don't think that that proves the the Bible false, and at the same time, I don't think it proves it true or that the story is false. Definitely. So, are, so some of these views would might be the openness even might be considered out of the mainstream for the average you know twenty something within the church. Are you able to talk to people here at BYU comfortably about these views? Do you feel like you have to be guarded? Do you have to be careful who you tell that you're open to evolution? Or do you feel like well, pretty, I don't think actually I don't think evolution is as big a deal with um, students as it as it is maybe with the general population of the church. I think I think most students, well, at least most students that I have classes with, um, or that I've had science classes with, even or more especially with science, people that I've had science classes with, I don't I don't think that they have a problem with it. But I but I, and that's probably because probably most students don't. Um, don't have a class where they study evolution in depth. I actually had a class where we where we went pretty deep into evolution, but I also had three professors who were who were quite confident that evolution was a was a correct principle, and so that may have influenced my belief about it. But also, I I feel I still feel feel very open about it. But I really don't have a hard time talking to people about it, and it doesn't seem to be something that's terribly controversial. Though there are students that I run into who just will flat out tell you evolution is the doctrine of the devil. So is there any area in your life where you feel um, 
in any way out of step or ostracized or marginalized or uncomfortable um, as you as you run in Mormon circles or or do you feel like in a sort of comprehensive way your views or your attitudes your perspectives or your thoughts mesh very well with the culture and the population that that you interact with here at BYU or in the church more broadly I, I feel pretty comfortable running in circles, but I, I, I do feel like I have to watch myself sometimes just because uh, there, are, there are people who, who will be genuinely offended if I were to tell them some of what I believe or try and promote it to them or try and make a case for it. Um, I, I think that they would be very offended, and so I, sometimes I do feel uncomfortable. I, I mean, I've had experiences in Sunday school. I, I, I actually had one experience one time in Sunday school that that kind of made me a little wary about <laughs> the questions I ask in Sunday school and, and um, the points I try and make. Uh, we were we were discussing, I think, Section 134 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the section on government, and I think it's verse 7 that talks about uh, us allowing uh, other, other people the, the privilege of worshiping how they will. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, there's so many... Isn't it ironic that that Utah uh, prosecutes polygamists just for practicing polygamy? I mean, pre, uh, mar- mar- like marrying ch- children off is another issue. But I mean, just for practicing polygamy, they they prosecute them. I, I think that's a little ironic, given the, given our past, um, our own uh, reception of persecution for uh, practicing it, and. So I just I just kind of raised my hand and said, what you know, what do people think about that? Do people think it's it's uh, hypocritical for? I mean, should we should we support uh, prosecutions of polygamists just for practicing polygamy, or, or should we should we as citizens, as good citizens, try and try and fight to have them uh, have the have laws against polygamy um, repealed? And I had so many people just immediately, it was an immediate reaction, and I realized that, and, and the, the reactions that I got, I realized that the people were misunderstanding my question. Um, they thought I was saying, shouldn't we practice polygamy? And, and because their responses were like, well, the prophet has said we shouldn't practice polygamy and that it's, that it's outlaw, are, are, you, are you going against the prophet? And I was, I was struggling to make my, my point, but then afterwards I just ended up having to apologize to um, four or five sisters in the class and I, I did I genuinely felt bad that that I had created such contention but it wasn't my intention to do so and I just have kind of felt a little wary about um, asking those types of questions and raising things that kind of go with I guess sort of a political nature in Sunday school and so there there are times when I wish I there was some sort of forum um, with lots of lots of people that I could openly discuss things with, but generally I just talk about it with with friends that I that I'm comfortable discussing things with and who are, who love to discuss it. So, are there any are there any groups that you sympathize with um, from the standpoint of uh, are there any are there any friends or types of friends you have who you do feel like are marginalized or judged? Or ostracized in a way that that you wish there was maybe more tolerance for. Um. Um, I'm very sympathetic for kids with beards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually had a, I actually had a beard this last summer. I was working at a 
at a boys ranch, not for trouble teens, for just regular kids. But and so I, I had a beard. But um, yeah, I, I sympathize with people who, who for superficial reasons, people look down on them. And uh, I also sympathize with people who are accused of being uh, faithless or apostates because they're, they have a hard time believing something because they haven't been given adequate reasons for it, and they haven't had a fair chance at. Uh, receiving a good presentation of a, a principle or doctrine. Um, I'm very sympathetic for them. Um, I, I'm very sympathetic for people who, for whatever reason, have a hard time with abiding by any, uh, any of the laws of the church. I mean, any who, who struggle with particular sins I, I, and are ostracized for it. I mean, I think that I think that people who who have been uh, who have had, like young people who have had sex or something and been forced to get married or have had an abortion or something like that who are who are looked down on I feel I feel awful for them because I just think that there are, that there are sins that are a lot worse I understand why we consider them to be very serious sins but um, I, I just I hate that some people are. So, I mean, they beat themselves up, but then they have the rest of the church beating them up, too, for something that they've done, and, and that it drives them away, and I, and I feel awful about that, and I hate that happens. Um, I mean, just any number, of, any number of things like that, just anyone who's driven away from the church for whatever reason because they were offended, I, I, I mean, I just understand, I feel like I understand those things. So do you have some close friends of yours who have left the church? Um, yeah, people that I people that I feel close to that have, that have left the church. I don't, I don't have any people like, um, well, that's not true either. Yeah, I do. But if, if you could if you could list some of the main reasons why some of these some of these people or or, or even the people your age are leaving, what would be the main causes? Uh, I think that the main cause that I've encountered is they had a, a, some some incorrect understanding of a doctrine, not unjustifiably so. I mean, they from what they've been taught, that was their understanding of the doctrine. But it, but in my opinion, was an incorrect understanding that they then uh, are able to you know they set up they set up the straw man or the straw man is set up for them, and then it's then they're able to easily tear it down or knock it down or something when they maybe learn more about church history than they than they were taught when they were younger or uh, they learn more about uh, some idea in science or history or uh, philosophy that that they think easily beats that argument and I just I, I feel bad about that but I also think that that's that's really dangerous is that they're they're not being equipped with the right information what are, what are some of the examples of these doctrines or, or historical understandings that you see as particularly attractive or dangerous, however you want to Well, I think, I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about uh, the Book of Abraham and how it was produced. Uh, I think evolution is one thing for some reason that, I mean, there's been so many statements from, from church leaders saying, well, we don't know about evolution. Let's... Let's not say it one way or the other. Um, and I think evolution is one thing that gets people. Uh, 
women in the priesthood is another thing. Blacks in the priesthood is another thing. Um, even even the existence of God is is one thing. Um, historicity of the Book of Mormon, ar archaeological claims, and things like that. Those are just a couple issues that I can think of. Polygamy, just some basic ones, I guess. Yeah, but you've you've been able to work through all those, so you're fully aware of those issues. But you've been able to work through them. Uh, I think that I'm fully aware of them, and, and I feel like I've worked through them. And to what do you credit your ability to work through those, whereas your friends have not been able to? What what, what was different in your life? Is it just who you are? You're more sophisticated and nuanced. I, I don't. I don't or think did, so. Did you have some influences in your life that that? that made the difference for you where these friends just didn't have them in their formative years? I, th I think it's, I think it's really likely that they just didn't have the same influences that I had. I mean, I had, I feel like, um, my, my dad is really, um, open to a lot of these things. And when, when any of us would have a question about it, we'd ask and he would say, well, we don't know a lot about, this or that, and here, here is one idea that's been presented, one explanation, here's another explanation, here's another explanation. Uh, there is no real doctrine of the church on that particular issue, or here is a way that I've been able to reconcile it, or here is something that you should read about that. And just the fact that we had lots of material open to us, and it was displayed on shelves, and just about, about the church in general, about Joseph Smith, about the Book of Mormon, about history of the church it was just always available so having more information was actually more helpful to you than having less yeah and can you name any influences on your father sources for materials or you know what helped your dad get to where he was was it his dad or, or did he have no his dad is actually not for most of most of his adult life has not been uh, a member of the or not an active member of the church so what uh, made the difference for your dad i think Coming to BYU, uh, he had a lot of he had a lot of positive influence from professors. He also had a lot of uh, there were a lot of students who he was very close to that had a lot of shared a lot of the same concerns that he had. Or that w when things were brought up, they they got good explanations. Uh, he was he read a lot of dialogue and I think Sunstone and uh, BYU studies, and there were just forums and discussions about things all the time. Um, so I think those were a lot of his influences. He, he read a lot and discussed a lot. Do you have any hopes uh, for progress in the future? Do you, are there any secret hopes or desires you have for how things might get better? For I mean, things are good. There are a lot of great things, obviously. Do you ever hope for a change or two here or there or some ways that things might improve? Do you have well, ideas? My, I, I don't know. My, my secret hope is that um, I, I just think that there's so many... The, the educational background uh, of different members of the church is so different that you know Sunday school and, and elders quorum are not necessarily are not necessarily the place to discuss certain issues because there just isn't time to, to go into the background of things and so when you bring up uh, I don't know something more speculative or something more controversial um, there, there just isn't, it's just not the right place. There's not the right spirit because people haven't been uh, raised in, in the same way and, they, and they, get, they have widely differing views about the doctrines of the church. But I, I don't know, I, I think that the, the church is, is 
trying pretty hard to get people educated and is making education a, a, a focus. And I mean, President Hinckley preaches it all the time, you know, get as, edu get as much education as you can. Um, I think the Perpetual Education Fund is, is designed to do that in, in, the, um, in the third world areas of the church and make educational opportunities more available. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe one day we'll see a lot more educated members. I, I, would, I would love to see that. Last question. Have you ever read Sunstone? Yeah. What do you think about Sunstone? Um, well, I haven't, I haven't read it uh, as many issues as, to, to, I don't know, to, get a, to have a very informed opinion of it. But um, the, issues, uh, the issues that I have read, I, I've, really, I've really enjoyed um, the pieces. I think that they're well-researched. I think they're well-reasoned. I, I think that people make rational arguments, and I think they're fair, um, especially, they're, they're especially fair to the church. And I think they approach things from the right perspective, and they're, they're very helpful for getting new perspectives on things.